Thank you very much, Cornelia. It was really fascinating as ever. Uh, my question is really sort of something you said at the very beginning, which is that you are less conceptual but more intuitive artist. At the same time, um, all your works are very much about use of language and concepts, and, and you seem to like uh, use of pants as well. So, so it's just a liberation on that kind of conceptual, intuitive relationship. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's like poetry. You know, you know, uh, poets will assemble words in a particular kind of way. I mean, I, I think language is very important to me, and I use it. I think perhaps intuitively as well. Um, but I just collect things, and then sometimes those things go together. So you know, I might have a title that I've had for years, like "Hanging Fire" or um, uh, "Thirty Pieces of Silver," or you know, just phrases I've picked up. In, Bible or from you know, a scientific journal or whatever they uh, cold art matter or whatever and I collect them the way I collect objects and very often then these things come together you know, they, they get paired up um, so the poppy thing for example I, I don't know for years I kind of been thinking about the poppy there's something about it that bugged me I think it was so perfect and uniform and everybody wears it you know just for one few days a year or whatever, you know, and I, I think I knew there was, had a hunch that if I visited the factory where they were made, I might find something, um, so that's what I mean about intuition, you know, it's, it's kind of, why am I attracted to these things, um, um, and, you know, obviously, I think all artists conceptual anyway, I mean, even people who do abstract painting, they have to decide they're going to squirt those colours on, on their you know, palette to, to, to begin with, you know, so they've been led by lots of little observations they've made. And I think the same for me, really. Um, and the idea sometimes is just a bit of a decoy, you know, it's, it's a way of getting from A to B, you know, it's just like deciding you're going to go and, you know, you know walk down the road and visit a friend. That's the idea, but on the way you find all those other things. Um, Can I add something that if you look at it in terms of the traditional debate about conceptual art, Connie is doing something very different because oh, let's say old school conceptual art tends to focus on the disparity between the signifier and the signifier, between the sign and its meaning or its reference to destabilise that, to question that to kind of show the gap between them but what Connie does is something much more subtle, take, take the example of the war machine or of the work where she's thrown the definition of gravity over the cliff or Einstein's abstracts, which you didn't show in the slides, but it's an amazing work where Connie's taken a photograph of the blackboard after a lecture Einstein gave at Oxford in I think, 1931, and she's blown up the chalk marks on the board. And they actually look like the, the cosmos. So something very, very particular is happening in, in those two works that rather than just focusing on the difference between the representation and its supposed reference, you're showing that the medium of the representation, like the chalk marks or the poppies or the letters of the word gravity, can actually be the embodiment or the image of the reference. So it's something very, very different from the classical conceptual gesture of just showing the gap between signifier and signifier. Oh, beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Which I didn't show an image of a, of a, a blackboard piece, which I got a lump of chalk from 
beachy head. Um, and I closed my eyes, and then I, uh, I, I wrote, never, negotiating a cliff edge in the, in the dark with this chalk, which was part of the cliff. So it's almost the cliff edge was the thing I was writing the script description with. But because I was doing it uh, with my eyes closed, it kept going off the edge of the blackboard. <laughs> and I wrote over and over again like a mantra, so, it, so the whole thing looks very abstract, and you can just about pick out uh, what I'm saying, but it's in the title anyway, so, 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 so how did that? That's <laughs> not a great song, isn't it? But, you know, I was really negotiating a cliff edge with, you know, with a, with a, in the dark, so it, it was just like a little description of what I was doing, really, so... Um, I'm very literal, really. <laughs> Could you say something more about your interest in psychoanalysis? Uh, well, I think, um, I think it, obviously I'm, I'm very intrigued by it um, because I had a schizophrenic mother and her father died in, um, you know, in an asylum. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, no, I've got a lot of... Um, sort of, you know, un- unexplained things there in my, uh, my own personal history. So I think it made me want to read about it and you know, do a bit of it. Um, and, you know, so I think it's, and especially with my work, I mean, I've taught 15 years in art schools and actually the amount of um, therapy that's involved in giving tutorials to art students is, is, you know, I felt like I was a psychoanalyst myself, but I think by solving a lot of their problems with their work, um, you know, very often about avoiding the object, <laughs> um, I, you know, solve quite a bit of my own. So, so I, I don't know, I, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it, really. But, uh, but I've had people, psychoanalysts, write about my work, and, and, and I don't, I don't recognise myself at all in it. <laughs> my explosion, you know, like that emptying out the mother. <laughs> I thought I'd blow up my father. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Only <laughs> 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 <I'll be> joking. <laughs> um, but you know, I think it's fascinating. I think it's, you know, I think our unconscious knows more than our conscious does, and that's what I'm always trying to draw out with the work. You know, I might have a conscious structure to start to, like a, an idea to try and draw out the unconscious. But, um, but I always assume we, you know, our unconscious knows much more than our consciousness. So I'm, I'm more, I, I give it a lot more uh, headway or leeway. You know, I'm, I'm always intrigued to know, you know what, what will come forth. I don't want to analyse things too much. When I'm making work, I, I try not to know what it's about too much. Sometimes you get a lot of pressure that's on you from the press office or, you know, Anybody wanted to know what the work is before you make it, and I think well, that's not the reason for making work. You know, you want the work to tell you stuff. Is that a hand up the back or somebody taking the cardigan off? That was two hands there. You've mentioned Marcel Duchamp, and I was just wondering if you if that was a major influence and what your other artistic influences were. Oh, yeah, well, Marcel Duchamp I love. And I got to, uh, perhaps less when I was at art school, but later. Um, especially when I started to use the recognisable objects in my work when I was at art school, I made mostly abstract things. And it's only when I started using representational objects that I really felt, uh, you know, 
much happier. <laughs> and as Duchamp was somebody who introduced the idea of being able to use the found object, the ready-made, but I mean, I'm, I mean, the found objects have been there through other artists, like you know, Picasso and all kinds of people, but, but I, I like that freedom to be able to use the things around me to describe something that's a bit more abstract, you know, sort of going out in the opposite way, really. Uh, but other people I love, I mean, from Bruce Nauman, Tony Cragg, when I was you know, a student, a sculpture student, he was particularly interesting to me. Uh, his work he's making now less so, but, you know, work he's making in the 80s. Richard Long, uh, lots of American artists, uh, lots of painters, uh, but people like, uh, but Art of Povera, Yves Klein, Piero Manzoni, um, you know, all those, uh, those people who are working with poor materials that they weren't using, you know, marble or something did, <laughs> but, you know, weren't using all those, uh, you know, the, the, the Sculpture for me, I think sculpture, the reason I didn't do sculpture straight away at college, but I didn't pay for half my degree, was because I thought sculpture was about this grand monumental thing, uh, which I was not that interested in. But then when I realised about Duchamp and the dematerialisation of the, the object, I, I, I felt that perhaps I could put my toe in the sculptural water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that other lady? No one beside you. I just wonder what you're working on at the moment. I'm working on a project for the Met Museum, Metropolitan Museum in New York, for their roof. They do an annual roof commission. And I'm, I've been um, sat down with lawyers and they told me I can't talk to anybody about <laughs> <laughs> it. very pertinent to this conversation. Um, so when you hear about it, um, remember that. But, uh, uh, a bit about good and, e- good and evil. <laughs> But I'm doing a large-scale installation, which is kind of curious uh, to be working in a very, on top of a brilliant museum, which has got so many amazing things in it. It's kind of quite a daunting task, really. But it's surrounded by Central Park and all the skyscrapers, so it's the most brilliant, you know, backdrop for a work of art. So I'm really excited about it. And I've been going to New York a lot for the last few months. I'm going there next week. And then I'm doing a show at the Family Museum, which I'm curating, which I'll have some work in as well, um, in the summer, on the 26th of May, called Found. So it's Found at the Family Museum. I'm their Hogarth Fellow, and this is my Hogarth Fellowship um, culmination. So I'm, I'm curating a show with about 50 different artists and some writers in it, and they will all be putting um, artwork in all found objects, which I'll write about. Darian's putting something in as well, don't you? So there'll be a few people who are not artists in it as well. But um, Hogarth, uh, I don't know if you know about the Founding Hospital, the uh, Founding Museum, is, you know, um, in Hogarth's day, uh, he was a, a, a patron of, of the, this place, this kind of orphanage where people, you know, illegitimate children were left and, and they were, you know, brought up. Um, and it, it's gone on until quite recently, actually. There's a the Corum um, group that help adoptions. So that's what's left, really, from that. But they have a museum. And when every mother left a child there, they would leave a token, an object, to, to signify, you know, this child was there, so they wanted to come back and claim the child and say, oh, I left half a penny, you know, with a little hole drilled in it, or, you know, so lots of people couldn't read. So it's a way of, of sort of, it's like identifying their child. 
so in a way I'm asking people to put objects in that are not going to do the found museum at all but it's about the found object so watch out for that, that's on from end of May till September early September uh, this is the one here this is the one just here uh, thanks very much for, for your talk uh, I saw the exhibition at the, uh, the Whitworth in Manchester and I was very affected by it, particularly by the, the shed. Okay. Um, uh, but there was something about that which I think might also be a more general um, point of contact, if you like, between uh, psychoanalysis and your work. It, it, it's, it's a kind of, um, it's not so much to do with content, it's more to do with attitude. And that is the way, you see, it seems that one of the things that um, characterises Freud is his refusal, absolute refusal, to think anything is irrelevant, or to think anything is detritus. You know, at his time, the most detritus-like phenomenon was a neurotic symptom, which he, uh, you know, saw as ex- explosive and full of meaning. But similarly, something like the way someone dresses, a gesture, a minor slip, all these... I mean, he, he wrote somewhere in a letter to Luan Bessel, I made that he was practicing um, uh, blinding himself. So, so that he could see in the dark. In other words, he could see a small glimmer that you'd never see when the lights were off. And it seemed to me there's something about that, that you're all the time drawing our attention to things that are there, but that we ignore, and that you see are, are so, so full of meaning. And, and perhaps particularly, I mean, I, I love the, for me, the shed seemed to capture so much, because it stood for that place where you leave things. And you think they're just leaving them there, but the things that you choose to leave, yes, of course, occupy a peculiar significance. And then by your sort of blowing them up finally, <laughs> but also permanentizing them, by it's sort like, of capturing something of that dialectic. Anyway, quite, thank you very, very much. Oh, it's quite a time capsule that now, the, the, the shed, you know, because the explosion happened in 1991, but quite a lot of the things in the shed are old anyway, you know. Yeah. And I got various people to give me stuff out of their sheds, you know, some mm-hmm. books and prams. And, uh, but, you know, it, it, so it, and curlers. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's kind of curious. And there was a Coke can in there that I think a member of the army was drinking from before. <laughs> um, it got blown up and it was kind of curious. That, uh, you know, it, seeing it again recently was quite nice. But it's quite nice because it's an ageing explosion. Um, I was just, when you just said that, I was just thinking, what's it like when you rehang the, the exposed shells, like, each time? Like, do you, are you part of when they... Uh, the, the, the tape have it now, so they've got a team that go in and I've, you know, given them a storyboard of how it goes up. And that, but because I was up at the Whitworth and they were rehanging it, I went in and did fine-tuning, you know, and then reacquainted myself with some of these objects I hadn't seen for a long time. So, um... So, but no. Sometimes I got to a point where I thought, "Oh, I can't make any large, more large-scale suspended works because I, I don't think I've got enough energy to be able to go and put them all up again." <laughs> um, so I, I sometimes I'm a bit mindful of that now. That you know, if a, if a work only can be put up by me, then it means uh, if it's going to survive, it's, it's too much responsibility. <laughs> um, so it seems ironic, you know, when you 
blow the stuff up. You think you're getting rid of it. <laughs> Comes back up to haunt you. <laughs> you have to relive it all again. Sounds like life. Yeah. All this baggage. <laughs> One last question. Someone Your work involves a lot of people who um, must involve the, a lot of people who aren't conceptual artists, and I was just wondering how you convince those people to help you with your work, and how you kind of persuade them to do quite unusual things to materials and help you achieve what you're trying. Um, I realise I, mean, I didn't realise what a, an oral component there is to my work. That you know, I'm much more, much happier, and feel much more creative when in conversation with people or you know, not, not in, you know, I'm not a sort of studio uh, orientated artist. I, I find that kind of, you know, it's not animated enough. Um, but I mean, it's surprising actually, um, you know, obviously people say no all the time, but the, well, those who do say yes, it's because, you know, they, they quite enjoy the interaction. You know, they like being outside their comfort zone too, or, you know, or we, we at least have a dialogue about it. And so I learn a lot through my, you know, my interactions. Uh, Kostya, Novoselov, um, the, the physicist from Manchester, um, he invited me to go down a, um, a graphite mine recently, um, a couple of months ago, which was before Christmas, just before they had this huge flood in Cumbria. It was a week before we were staying in Graithwaite, which was underwater about four days later. And we went, um, there about five of us, including two guides, and I've got a terrible fear of heights. I said, oh, I hope Because he said, talk about abseiling. And I said, oh, dear, abseiling. <laughs> um, he said, oh, no, the, the, the deepest hole is four metres. I thought, oh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> we got there. The first one was 20 metres. No, that was the smallest one we went um, So the whole thing was a really fearful. But we went, we took Constable and Turner down there. Um, you know, the, 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 the graphene that we made. <laughs> left them down the mine. <laughs> and that's the mine that all those you know, all those artists, graphite would have come out of, so we returned. But it was a very interesting, you know, but I, I mean, what else would I, how would I ever meet a physicist, you know, Nobel Prize winning physicist, except doing some mad task like turning Constable and Turner down a graphite mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's, for me, it's, you know, he obviously enjoys it too. I mean, you know, and it was just, it was just, a, a, you know, now we, we formed a little supper club in Manchester called um, Dinner with No Agenda. That's, <laughs> that's Costa's title for it. <laughs> so we could just talk about how to save the world if, was a, if you like minded people. Uh, but, but that's, for me, what art is about. It's about having conversations and having testing your, testing the material and testing your, your metal, as it were. And for physicists, too, the reason that uh, Kostya and Andre Gein won the Nobel Prize was because they play a lot. You know, they're not very orthodox people. And they, they, they discovered graphene in a Friday night sort of experiment when they were just playing, basically. Uh, after having a cup of beer. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because they're open to that, that's what makes them extraordinary physicists rather than just everyday physicists. So play is very I do like a, a really cheesy ending to this and just saying that's what makes you an extraordinary artist rather than an everyday one. Oh, thank you, darling. <laughs> <laughs>